I thank you, Father, that this victory is so strong that not even death can prevail against it. And Lord, I pray that you would receive your glory this morning, and I pray that you would please speak through me and give the people an understanding heart of what I believe you want to do in their lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read out of 2 Timothy 4 eventually. I want to thank Philip O'Nellian for filling up all our potholes in the parking lot that yesterday. It's wonderful. Um, so I want to begin before I get into this word. And I want to share with you my heart for just a moment. And I want you to understand how much I genuinely care for you. And as a pastor, I have a tremendous responsibility to teach you the whole counsel of God. And, and not to just bring things before us that tickle our ears or that tends to be in the vein that everybody might be speaking today and that everybody wants to hear. And sometimes when we minister God's word, we can oftentimes feel like Jeremiah, where you're proclaiming the word of the Lord, but it seems to be going against what everyone else may be saying today. And I sense in my spirit that there might be some of that going on in this message. I believe Jesus is coming. And I believe that we are soldiers of Jesus Christ. I do not believe that the culture should weaken us, but it should strengthen us. It should make our resolve for Jesus that much more. I believe that the church of Jesus does need to be stronger than it is. I believe that the weakness in our emotions, the weakness in our feelings, how easily offenses rise up from within the body of Christ that bring such disturbance needs to be far less than it is. And that we're stronger and we're prepared. It seems as though sometimes people adapt so well and so quickly and so easily that there's an attitude, many different attitudes, I'm just going to pick out one, that seems to be that life's just kind of getting back to normal. You know, um, we went through some trouble. We went through some seasons of very great difficulty in our country, politically, socially, economically. But, you know, it's kind of settling down. But it's really not. Our world changed a few years ago. And our world has not even gone back to that normal, which wasn't great before it happened. We now are seeing incredible inflation in our world. We're watching the rise of gas. We're watching the regulation of fertilizer, which seems to be affecting farmers, which is affecting the price of groceries in the store. There's numbers of people that are finding it very difficult to buy their prescription drugs. They're finding it very difficult just to put gas in their car to go to work. They're finding it difficult to pay for their energy bills 
as they are also increasing. Life is not normal. There are government agencies that seem to be um, oppressing and encroaching upon the liberties of free speech and the freedom to worship God. That even through stealth, many agencies are sending people into churches in order to gather information. That in a day that's coming, they would be able to use this information against the churches. It was several years ago. It might have been seven, eight, nine years ago that uh, I believe it was the mayor of, of Houston that demanded that every church send in its messages for review, which was pushed back against and didn't get her way. But it kind of shows you where there are people that are wanting to go. And so it's a fragile time. It's a difficult time. It's not a normal time. It's not a normal day. And I believe the visitation of God through outpourings such as Asbury and other places, and even here and in our desires and in our hunger, is God just trying to stir up his people, get close to me, get close and be intimate with me because of things that are transpiring and will continue to spiral downward. And and not only to mention those things, the word of prophecy is enough. The word of God that prophesies that men will grow worse, the love of many will grow cold, that there would be many false Christs that appear, that there would be pestilences, that there would be dire circumstances in the earth, that there would be war and there would be rumors of war. And the Bible prophesies all of these things that are going to increase like the birth pains of a woman. They will increase all the more as the creation is groaning for its deliverance. So even in the light of prophecy, we have to understand that from this point to when Jesus comes, what are we going to face? What are we going to deal with? And so I'm excited. I'm excited about the word of God. And I'm excited about the kingdom of God. And I'm excited about the king that I get to be a part of. And I get to serve in this hour. It's a glorious hour. I believe it is an hour where we will see the greatest harvest in all of Christendom. I've, I've, I've told people, I've preached this for years, but I believe that the, the revival is going to happen around Antifa and BLM and now the woke crowd, now the trans crowd. I believe the revival is going to happen in that. Amen. I believe multitudes are going to come to Jesus Christ and, and maybe like the hippies shook things up in the 70s. It might shake some things up in the 2020s and God let it be. It needs to be a shaken. There needs to be a disturbed. There needs to be the life and the, and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit where our young people are so hungry for God and, and preachers are, have the courage of the Holy Spirit to be able to lead and disciple the masses of people that are destroying their lives and want to come out of that. And went to God that we could be a church on the forefront of that. You know, in every way. But I'm excited about the things that we have going on. Before I get to my scripture, I just, I'm going to read something that I wrote. So bear with me. It may be about three minutes long. Let your attention span be stirred up, all right? I know you got lost an hour, all right? You're going to find it in here. <laughs> You're going to find that hour. Um, somebody dozes off, they snore, pinch them. Um, listen, okay, listen to this carefully. Listen to this. 
I do want you to understand my heart. Guys, I'm trying to prepare you to walk with God and meet Jesus in the air. I want you to be ready. And there's a number of people that are being led astray. I am so bored with the religious system. I'm so bored with the entertainer preachers. The show. The game. I'm so bored with hearing the same messages repeatedly saying, this is your year. This is your breakthrough. This is your season. The man who is brought in to stir up the sales team is not much different from the modern preacher. Preachers disguise their lack of intimacy with Jesus and their unfamiliarity with his word by smoke and mirrors. From their flesh, they rile up the listener's flesh with great drama. I grieve the place Jesus has been given in this drama that titles his name but promotes the people. This is a church age we were warned about. A Laodicean age where we have so many goods that we don't need Jesus. Well, beloved, I simply say to you, Jesus is it. Period. There is nothing else. There is no one else. There's no one else worth talking about. No other gospel worth preaching than Jesus's. There's not enough time to talk about anyone else. Much less us. There's no other gospel to herald but his. It's the only one that saves. The danger coming from the contemporary preacher is the mixture of kingdom dominion theology, amillennialism, into conservative truths. These former theologies insist upon global dominion by the church for Jesus. It demands that believers should walk in victory over hell in such a way that they never have a problem. No trials, no setbacks, no weaknesses, no brokenness, no suffering. They feel the humble, broken, suffering believer is the reason Jesus has not yet returned. And until believers realize who we are, we will continue to delay the return of Jesus. Paul foresaw the church being overrun with godly performances, barren of spiritual power. Sadly, these religious zealots do not know they are without power. They do not know that the show, the riches, and the performances have pushed Jesus out. We are rich and increased with goods, they say. We have need of nothing, they say. All the while, Jesus is looking or knocking on the door to be invited back in. They gauge their power based on their ability to prevail over people and move a a crowd, not their ability to prevail with God, as when Jacob became Israel. They demand we are the ones... This is our day. We shall take over. We are the victors. However, they have no concept of what the victory of Jesus even entails or how it occurs. They deny brokenness, which is the only way to power. They deny weakness, which is how God's grace rests on us. 
Paul gloried in his infirmity. Still, these modern preachers believe that if you have an infirmity, you lack the understanding of who you are in Christ. These modern preachers would renounce Paul because he confesses weakness and humility. And he even says he is the worst of sinners. This humility is foreign to them. They would insinuate that Paul does not know who he is in Christ. He speaks too much about suffering and brokenness. Where are his victory and power? When Paul's life in Christ was attacked, he listed his credentials. If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things that concern my infirmity. You don't hear preaching like that today. And Paul would go on to say in his credentials, I am exhausted from the work. I am beaten beyond measure. And I'm frequently in prison. And I'm dying constantly. I've been beaten with rods. Stoned. Three times I was in shipwreck. And a whole day and night I floated in the ocean. I'm frequently on the go. This puts me in constant danger from robbers, my countrymen and heathens. I face perils in the city, in the wilderness, the sea, and among false brothers. Shall I go on? I am weary and suffer much pain. I sleep very little. I am often hungry and thirsty. I suffer from exposure to nature. Being both cold and naked. But that's not all. Every day I am overwhelmed with the care of the churches. The modern preacher thinks, poor Paul. He just doesn't have much faith. But wait, Paul is not finished with his credentials. God allowed a demon to hinder him. Preach that today. Paul said God explained it was to keep him humble. And again, the contemporary preacher would insist. If Paul only knew who he was in Christ, he could have enjoyed such greater victories in his life. Will the contemporary preacher teach Paul the right way to believe? I imagine the contemporary preacher delivering his message of power and victory to Paul. Let them explain to Paul how great they are. Let them explain to Paul that they cannot confess weakness or defeat. You cannot do that. You cannot confess or suffer brokenness. For we are the head and not the tail. We hold the keys to the kingdom. We are the power of God on earth. Those statements are true. I could see them instructing Paul that his churches suffer such division. Satanic attack and sickness and suffering due to Paul's ignorance to preach who we are in Christ. But Paul has an answer. Here it is. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. 
and reproaches, necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And I am become a fool in glorying. You've compelled me. For I ought to have been commended of you. For in nothing am I behind the greatest of apostles. Though I be nothing. And there it is. Paul says he's nothing. But the modern preacher with his mixture of dominion theology would rebuke Paul and say, How can you say you are nothing? Do you not know who you are in Christ? Furthermore, they cannot understand how anyone in Christ could celebrate infirmities, reproaches, lack, persecution, distress, and weaknesses. For they cannot comprehend how the grace of God works. In a broken man. Recently, I was confronted by one of these preachers. They rebuked me because our church had some people in it who were suffering. Some of our people battled sickness, some of our people even struggled in their marriages. Those condemning me were blind to the grace of God in our lives. Blind to the presence of God among us. The testimonies of miracles. The joy of God's presence. And the powerful salvation of people who are coming into the kingdom of God regularly. They could not even see that what they were rebuking me for. They were in the moment, suffering the same things. They were suffering with sickness. They had been married multiple times themselves and had watched their loved ones die from sicknesses. No doubt, Timothy struggled with Paul's persecution. Obviously, Timothy was enticed to forsake Paul And join the ranks of those preachers who seem to find the easy way of serving the gospel. Paul addresses them in 1 Corinthians 4. He said that God has exhibited the apostles as last and not first. Like men sentenced to death. We are a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. But other preachers, even in Paul's day... Who thought they knew better than Paul. Even in Paul's day. Bragged about how wise they were in Christ. And Paul responded to them by saying. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise. We are weak. But you are strong. You are held in honor. And we are despised. Would to God. You really were strong, Paul would say. This sounds all too familiar today. What an embarrassment Paul must have been to so many in his day. It's probably less than a handful of people at his funeral. No wonder Timothy suffered because of Paul's sufferings. Just look at Paul's life in Christ We hunger and thirst and we are poorly distressed and buffeted and homeless. Homeless. Paul.
And he says this. Hold on to your seats. I urge you, says Paul, be imitators of me. I assure you this modern religious system will not follow Paul. Today's modern orthodoxy runs counter to the scriptures and the testimony of Paul. Instead of suffering, brokenness, and affliction, they exhort the people much like Satan did to Eve. It's just now Jesus has become the apple. Eat this and you will be great. So consumed with their identity in Christ that they don't need Christ. They are so focused on what I am that they don't need the I am. So much talk of you, they don't need him. So much anointing, they have no intimacy with the Holy Ghost. So much mixture of kingdom now that they don't understand the kingdom now. This current charade has made Jesus the means to our greatness, just like Satan's apple was to Eve. But I want to push back against that system. And I don't want to say that Jesus is the means to my greatness. Jesus is the only one who is great. He is my greatness It's not what I am, it's what he is. And Christ in me is the hope of glory for me. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That Jesus is everything to me and I am nothing apart from him. And I desperately, desperately need him. You may may be, please, please listen to me. I pray to God I'm wrong. I pray Jesus comes very soon. But you may encounter the hostility of a world that treats you in America the way the apostles were treated by Rome. It may happen. I pray to God it doesn't. But if it does, does Jesus mean enough to you to suffer for him? Do you know the word of God well enough to know what victory is? What is victory? What does it mean? When we say that we're more than conquerors and that we're overcoming, what does it mean? Because I can tell you what it means to this modern contemporary system. And it doesn't mean necessarily what it meant to the Apostle Paul. So now I'm in my text in 2 Timothy 4. And Paul says this, we're going to read verse 6, and then I'm going to go to Romans 8. And Paul says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. So Paul's saying, I'm dying. I'm not dying from a disease or sickness. They're killing me after winter. And Paul knew he was going to die a martyr's death. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy. And they're going to chop my head off for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Would you do that? I stand up here to tell you right now, I'll run. I'll run as fast as anybody. I'll save my neck. I need the Holy Ghost. 
I need the strength and the power of a risen Christ to live inside of me, to give me intimacy with him and power with him. Most Christians can't even testify in their church. And we're going to stand before an ungodly heathen system and stand for our God. We can't celebrate in an altar. And so Paul says, I'm about to leave. My departure is at hand. Verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them that also that love his appearing. Now hurry, do your diligence to come shortly to me. Make no delay. Demas has forsaken me. He loves this present world. He's departed into Thessalonica. Cretans is in Galatia. And Titus is in Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. Bring him with you. He's profitable to me for the ministry. I've sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And Timothy, when you come, the cloak that I left in troves with Carpus, when you come, bring it with you. And the books, and especially the parchments, it would be very similar to this. It would be all Paul had in that day. So if you forget the coat, if you forget the books, don't forget that parchment. That's my life. And I need him because the end is at hand. And I want his word. And I want that. And then he says this. This is so incredible. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Did, you, did me much evil. Didn't say he intended to or he wanted to. or He did. Right? An evil man did Paul a lot of evil. Do you see that? And then he said this, the Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou where also, beware of him. He has greatly withstood our words. <clears throat> At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Paul was preaching the gospel of God's grace. And as he was preaching the gospel of God's grace, Alexander would lead a revolt against him that would be so humiliating and the evil that was done to the apostle Paul was so significant that it terrified everybody that was associated with Paul so nobody stood with him. He's there by himself with his neck on the line preaching the gospel of grace and nobody's willing to stand with him. And Paul says, the Lord stood with me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it would not be laid to their charge. But notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That by me the preaching might be fully known. So you know it was about his preaching. 
And that all the Gentiles might hear, because I'm trying to bring this gospel of grace to the Gentiles, and these, the, the, the Alexander and these people are withstanding me. <clears throat> so that the Gentiles could have it, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And this is what I want you to see. <clears throat> Verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. And will preserve me to his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful. So beautiful. What a confession. Now, in Paul's day, there was a lot of modern preachers that attacked him and said he wasn't a rightful apostle. They attacked his life. They attacked his imprisonment. They attacked his hardships and his sufferings. And when Paul would list his credentials, he used the very things they were attacking him for. As the credentials of his call and his anointed ministry in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul now, when he says this, which is so incredible. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me to his kingdom. I I would love to sit down with the Apostle Paul and ask him in in regards to everything that I hear, everything that we hear, everything that people say, everything that we talk, everything that I want, everything that if I could sit down with God and I could sit down and I could explain to God in, in my life, this is what victory means. And so God, you need to understand that when I'm talking about victory, this is how I mean it. And I'm hearing preachers and prophets that seem to be confirming what I need you to do. Now, your success, God, and your goodness to me is based upon the fact of whether you can deliver to me what I believe victory means and what I think it means to be an overcomer. And it seems to be in line with so much that's being said and so much that I'm being taught. And the Apostle Paul, I think he would jump in on this and he would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're off track. You're trying to determine or define victory to God when God is the one who defines victory to you. And so here's Paul and and he says this. You you just read it. I, I hope you focus. I think it's verse 17. I would just encourage you to glance at it again right now. And look at that because Paul says, listen, God shall deliver me from every evil thing. On what basis does he say that? I mean, come on, guys. Let's just get real, all right? On what basis does Paul say this? I have been stoned. I have been beat with rods. I have been in three shipwrecks. I floated in the ocean a night and a day. Every city I go to, I get thrown in prison. I stir up riots. I'm hated. I'm forsaken by people. Nobody wants to admit that they know me. Alexander the coppersmith did incredible evil to me. But I know that God shall deliver me from every evil thing. How do you know? Why would you even say that? You've been hungry, you've been thirsty, you said you're homeless. So how can you even say that God will deliver you from every evil thing when it doesn't appear to me that God has delivered you from anything in your past? And because God has not delivered you from anything in your past, why are you so confident in this God to deliver you from every evil thing? And Paul, do I have to remind you, you're in prison right now. 
that's evil. You're not in prison for murder or for stealing. You're in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evil men have put you in an evil place. And you're saying, the nerve of you, Paul, you're saying God will deliver you from every evil thing. I think you need help. I don't think you know what these words mean, Paul. And I believe that's how the consensus of the majority of many people living in America would speak to Paul today. And not only that, Paul knows I'm done. They are killing me. They're going to murder me. They're going to martyr me. I am going to die at their hands But God will deliver me from every evil thing. I need some time with Paul. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I got time with him. Praise God. Romans chapter 8. I got some counsel from Paul. And maybe if we would all listen to it, we wouldn't be as depressed Christians or sad are complaining or wondering, God, what are you doing? What's happening in my life? For example, in Romans chapter 8, I would ask you this question. What, what, is, what is saving faith? What is that? What, what, what are you believing God to save you from? What is it? What does it mean? Now, y'all turn there, but wait for me before you start reading. I don't want to be behind you. So what does it mean? What, what is saving faith? And, and I've talked to people before and I understand. So, so it, when I die, I won't go to hell. I'll go to heaven. And praise God that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not going to go to hell. We're going to go to heaven. But how many people are in our churches that don't have a great assurance that when they die, they're going to go to heaven? There are people in our churches that don't want the rapture to come because they don't know if they'll go. And so what is it? What is saving faith? So that when I die, I won't go to hell, I'll go to heaven. And so here's the deal. How can you know that you're saved until you die and then you wake up and you find out where you are? Am I in hell? Or am I in heaven? And then after you die, you can know if you're saved or not. Because the context of your salvation is whether I'm going to hell or whether I'm going to heaven. And you cannot know that till you die if that's what your faith is in. But if your faith is in something different than that, I want to be saved from this guy. I want to be saved from me. I want to be saved from sin. And I want to be saved from the law. That is here and now. And so when, when I come to Jesus Christ and I turn to him and I believe on him, I'm saved from sin and death and the law now. And I know I'm saved because the Holy Ghost has gone to work in my life, transforming me and living in me and, and, and re- restoring my relationship with God. And it's just absolutely fantastic of what God's doing. So I know I'm not going to hell when I die. I know I'm going to heaven when I die because I'm saved now. I'm saved now from hell. And that's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of God's salvation. So 
So what, what, am I, what am I believing for? I'm believing that I'll be like him. I, I want to be like Jesus. I want the capacity to love an infinite God who has infinite love. I want the capacity to commune with him by his spirit without the limitations of this flesh and the things in me that war against him all the time. So Romans chapter 8, you're there. Around verse 28, it says that the Holy Spirit is there to help you in your infirmities When you don't know how to pray, for he prays for you with groanings that you cannot even utter. And God who searches the mind of the spirit, he searches that out. Therefore, we know that all things work together for good to those who are called of the Lord. And it is our destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So, what am I in agreement with God about? I'm in agreement with God that whatever I face in life, and when I'm too weak to face it, and I'm too weak to battle it, and I'm too weak to understand it, and it's too confusing for my life, I have God the Holy Ghost praying in me with groaning. I can't utter And by the fact that he is praying for me inside of me and Jesus is praying for me at the Father's hand with his own blood, I know that everything's going to work together for good because I love the Lord and I'm called according to his purpose and his purpose is for me to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So for me as a Christian, why can I complain? About a pain or a problem or a persecution or a suffering that I'm going through that I don't understand as though God has failed me. When God says, no, what I'm doing in your life is to make you like my son, Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to believe that I work it all for good. To bring that about in your life and I'm going to do it and you're going to be like my son. And you're going to stand before me. Holy. No fault. I will not be able to reprove you for anything or bring any blame against your life. Now that I am believing God for. And it's underway in me. And I know he'll finish it. So what's the victory? What is the victory of our life? Well, consider Paul's perils. Consider he's in prison. Consider he's about to have his head chopped off. And he says, God will deliver me from every evil thing. So what's his victory? What is victory for a Christian? Now listen, this has to be enough for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up freely for us all, 
How will he not freely with him give us all things? Who is he that can condemn you? God justified you. Yeah, we face the beast of Ephesus. We face death daily. Of course we do. Romans 8. I'm paraphrasing it. But I know this. I'm persuaded that we who trust in him are more than conquerors. And I am convinced that nothing, no life, no death, no power, no principality, no thing that's present or anything that could come, no famine, no pestilence, no sword, nothing that man could even create can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Beloved, that's the victor. You can't separate me from God. Government, you can't separate me from God. Everybody leaves me, you can't separate me from God. Afflicted, persecuted, tormented, torment, you can't separate me from God. I will not allow my abuse to separate me from God. I will not allow my molestation to separate me from God. I will not allow my rejections to separate me from God. I will not allow the gossip against my life to separate me from God. I will not let an army that rises up against me separate me from God. There is no power on earth or hell that can wedge me from God that I have this love in Christ Jesus my Lord. Because I understand that all of it works together for good. And yes, it hurt. Yes, it was hard. Paul felt the stones. He felt the rods. Yes, but the comfort of the grace of God in the life of a broken man who did not pursue brokenness and suffering and agony and persecution, but what he pursued is in the midst of anything and everything, whether I'm fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm cold or whether I'm warm, I just want to know him. I want to fellowship with him. And whatever this world does to me, God's going to use it for my good to make me like Jesus. And I'm going to go through life rejoicing and happy and free and believing because they can take my head off in the morning, but they can't defeat me. They can't defeat me. They can't beat me because I have a victory through God that he's given me in Christ Jesus, my Lord. So what is the devil trying to use in your life to take your victory away? What is going on in your life that the devil's trying to magnify to say to you, see, this isn't true. There's not real victory in Jesus Christ. 
Because if there were, then this would be happening. And it's caused confusion in you, maybe even bitterness in you. Don't be afraid to admit that God even sees it. He's not against you. He's not going to condemn you. But he's going to give you his comfort and his spirit and his fellowship. And it's going to heal you. But you see, you've got to know. You've got to know. I dealt with arthritis in my body for over 12 years. I could hardly walk. I couldn't sleep more than two hours a night. I didn't understand it. I didn't know why. But I tell you what, when every time it woke me up, I'd go sit before God and I'd, I'd, I'd do as much damage to hell as I could and as much communion with God as I could. And I didn't understand it. I didn't like it. And it hurt. But all I knew is this. I'm going to be more like Jesus because of it. And God, as long as you comfort me, as long as you, I don't, please understand this. I don't need a Christian to pat me on the back and tell me it's going to be okay. I need you. I need you. And why do I talk about intimacy with God? Because of things that may be coming. Because there may be a day when nobody stands for you. I know what it's like to stand alone. And maybe there's a day when nobody stands for you. And you better be sure Jesus is there. You better know you're not standing as a fool. You're standing because God is with you. You know that God is with you. You know that you know that you know. I've told people in my past who rose up against things that God was doing in my life. I said, you can fight me all you want. But don't forget you're fighting the Christ in me. And you're dealing with a force and a power you know not of. But I do know it. Beloved, I come to you as your pastor to secure you in your faith. To secure you in the truths of the word. Study it yourself. But when the Apostle Paul says, God will deliver me from every evil thing, it was because he meant that nothing could separate me from the love of God. I'm going home. If in this life only we have hope in Jesus, we're of all men most miserable. But I don't just hope for Jesus in this life. I've got him now. I walk with him now. We're intimate now. But I'm going home. I'm going to step into a kingdom glorious and eternal. And that kingdom's coming to earth and it's going to take it over. And the glory of God's going to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. And I get to serve him now and I get to serve him then. What a joy to be able to know the victory is that he loves me and I love him. And nothing can separate me. Don't let your sickness separate you from the love of God. Don't let your confusion separate you from the love of God. Don't let the naysayers in your life separate you from the love of God. Don't let your pain separate you from the love of God. Don't let your rejection separate you from the love of God. Don't let your past separate you from the love of God. Nothing has the power to do it. Don't give it the power. Draw close to the Lord. Would you stand with me? Would you just draw close to God with me right now? Number one. Would you just come rejoice? Because you should have been knocked out by now. The things that came against your life were intended to take you away from God, but it didn't. You might not be living the greatest life, 
You might not be living the life that you should be, but you're living the life and you believe in Jesus. And it has not separated you from the love of God. Can you rejoice in that? Can you celebrate that God? Oh, hallelujah. But some of you are under an attack and it's trying to separate you from the love of God, but it doesn't have the power. And you need the confidence. You need the confidence of his prayer life. The Holy Spirit's prayer life in you. The comfort of Jesus' prayer life for you. The comfort of the Father. The grace of our Lord Jesus. The communion of the Holy Spirit. May it be with you. Hungry hearts. Draw near to God right now.